It's The Difference, your weekly look at the intersection of politics and economics. I'm Dan O'Donnell. I handle the political and our economic guru is Dave Spano, the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. We truly are in the upside down, uh, to borrow a concept from Stranger Things, when good news is not good news and a blowout jobs report is even greeted with a little bit of trepidation from a presidential administration. Dave, this is something I don't think I've seen in recent history. Yeah, it's it's really weird. The fact that this jobs report was an absolute blowout, expected 190,000 jobs and 517,000 is really the reality dropped the unemployment rate down to 3.4%. You've got to go back five decades uh, to see an unemployment rate this low. So, so the Fed now is in a conundrum, right? Because they are trying to slow down the economy. They're trying to slow down uh, wage growth. And here we have all of these jobs being created. And so therefore, they're in a position where they're going to have to continue to raise rates and then at least hold them higher for longer, not what the market wanted to see. And as you said, the economy is doing so well. We're going to learn a lot more Tuesday night when we get a State of the Union report. And of course, they're going to take credit. Of course, the Democrats are going to take credit yeah. for everything that's happening right now. And, and you know, that's you know, when you're the president, you get to take credit for things that are happening. That's just the way it works. But with this big blowout jobs report, I mean, does this necessarily mean that the Fed is going to have to act more aggressively? I mean, we just saw a 0.25% rate hike, and we're, we're hearing from the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen that, yeah, it looks like inflation is starting to slow. But with this sort of jobs number, I I'm not seeing it. Well, see, but, but the concern is the recession, right? So, you know, we've went to try to control inflation and they've raised rates, as everybody knows, seven times last year, once already in 2023. And, and we're going to have to see what they're going to do going forward. But inflation and raising rates, that has a lag effect. And so therefore, when are we going to see this slowdown in the economy? Some are now starting to push it out. First of all, they had originally said, as you recall, early 2023. Now it was late 2023. And now I'm starting to see reports that it might be 2024. So that is really not an optimal situation where you continue to push this down. If something bad's going to happen, you know, like they, they said in The Godfather, tell me right away, right? Don't wait for yeah. to give me bad news. Give it to me now. So this pushing it down the road is not great. But at the same time, we've all seen jobless recoveries, right? But we haven't seen a recession with blowout job numbers. So are we going to have a recession? You know, I joked to you maybe a month or two ago about the fact this is the most widely anticipated recession that may not happen. And so yeah. and so we've got GDP numbers coming from the Fed, and, and that's positive. So it's going to be interesting. We're going to have to see if their rate raises are really going to have a dramatic lag in effect as we get later on in the year. I guess uh, my question is, would would the Biden administration really allow a recession in 2024? I mean, you've got poll after poll after poll coming out and saying, you know what, even Democrats aren't totally sold on the idea of Joe Biden uh, running for a second term. I mean, the man is 80 years old. They just actually totally upended the Democratic Party's primary schedule to ensure that the state Biden performed best in in 2020, the state that essentially saved his candidacy, South Carolina, was 
first in order to what is obviously an attempt at 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 keeping him afloat from any potential primary challenges when you've got that coming and the possibility of a recession in the second quarter of 2024 isn't that politically dangerous in the extreme yeah of course i mean you, you, and you've also got, I mean, you've also got control of the Senate at stake in a Senate map that is a bit more favorable to Republicans than 2022 was. Democrats only have a 51-49 majority, and you have the potential of them losing the presidency and losing the Senate and Republicans making bigger gains in the House if the economic situation is as dire as some people might be predicting, I guess it, it, this is still, and I know we've talked about this on this podcast, I'm a bit more, I don't even want to call it conspiratorial in my thinking, but let's face it, the Federal Reserve Chairman serves at the whim of the president and therefore is, he necessarily has to take political considerations into account when deciding how to uh, set interest rates and what he's going to do. I just don't see a recession happening in 2024 because to me it would be doom for the Democratic Party. And so what is the Fed going to do about that? One of the things they can do is start to cut rates. Now, if they start to cut rates, that means that things are not very good, right? And so that that's that's when they start cutting rates. So they're going to pause at a higher rate, see what kind of effect that has on inflation. And by the way, and I'll get back to that, but by the way, what's going to happen as we go into, into March and April and May of this year? The Strategic Petroleum Reserve has to be refilled. They cannot continue to draw that down. And, of course, Russia is coming offline on some of their production. And so that was a million barrels a day, Dan, that was being injected into the economy. So if energy prices go up, if crude goes back up over $100 a barrel or higher as we get into driving season, which is the summer, that's inflationary. Right. And so if you have a jobs number that's up, you've got energy prices that are up, that's inflationary. So they are in a position where they're going to have to keep rates higher. And then as we go into 2024 to turn things around, they would have to lower rates to spur on the economy. The only way they can do that, Dan, is if the economy really is sucking at that point, and there's a plenty of data up on this, is when they start cutting rates is really when the market starts to bottom, not before that. You know, people think it starts to rally at that point. That really shows that the economy has slowed down. So it is a weird situation, as you said. And at the same time, you've got earnings coming out. Earnings have been interesting. All you know, Most of the big tech companies reported last week, about 30 to 40% of those companies have reported including Apple. Apple missed for its first time in seven years. Amazon missed because of AWS, Amazon Web Services. So that shows that there is a slowing down. That is already happening. A lot of moving parts right now. Yeah, and that's why now is especially the time where you need to know what you own and why you own it. It's a free portfolio review called a free wealth metric that is available right now at AnnexWealth.com. Just head to the website and make sure that you have a plan because we are entering uncertain times in the extreme. And what's really bizarre to me, Dave, is that while we saw 500,000 jobs created, we've seen huge tech companies, huge cuts there. I saw Microsoft was just going to cut 5,000 jobs. I mean, every social media company in the world has been 
trimming the fat. It seems like every tech company has been trimming the fat. And there's sort of competing schools of thought that they're either right-sizing and, and getting right. rid of, right. you know, yep. 500 diversity, equity, and inclusion officers because they realize that they don't really need them. Or is it actually that they are preparing for a massive slowdown? And, right. and is the, in a broader sense, is this you know, 20 year long advance and rise of tech finally coming to an end. I, I guess I don't see that, but that's just me. Yeah. And, and I think you, you're, you're seeing, you have to look at the report, right? And a lot of those jobs that came back and created were uh, service jobs. You'll remember obviously that during COVID, all of those jobs were lost at restaurants and hotels and so on. So those are coming back and people are coming back into play, especially when all of this COVID money has run out now and that'll stop. Those assessments are going to stop. People are going to have to go back to work. And I think you're seeing that. There's a direct response. I've heard you talk about it on your show about, you know, when you, when you have transfer payments fiscally, you know, what are you going to get? And if you stop that, those payments, I mean, there is an action for every counteraction. So that's what you're starting to see. But there's no question that you're starting to see more jobs come in in service sectors as the tech starts to, to wane down. But I don't think tech is going away. I mean, I think it's just speeding up. And I'm not just talking about, you know, chat GPT here. You know, and Google, yeah. Google's, Google's talking about getting into this game now. I'm talking about healthcare and transportation and all these things. Technology is not going away. But, you know, well, it's going to be choppy waters. But is there something to be said for the fact that with the exception of Apple, which was always sort of a tech player, but kind of teetering towards the brink of bankruptcy. You know, there was uh, some question about their future before the development of the iPod in, what was that, 2003. And then, of course, the iPhone in 2007, and it was off to the races for them. But the companies that really changed the world in, in this current tech boom weren't the Microsofts. They, they weren't the America Onlines. Remember yeah, them? AOL. AOL. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't them. It was these upstarts, these, these newbies. And we can take the chat GPT as an example. Like, why wasn't it Google that developed this super advanced AI or Facebook or, or someone who you would think? Yep. Is there this belief that some of the upstarts of today are going to be the Tesla? You know, why didn't Toyota or Ford develop an electric vehicle? Why was it Tesla? You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. is there is there this possibility that the big mm. boys of today are going to be the Xerox of tomorrow? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a possibility. If you look at who the leaders were in the S&P 500 from 20 years ago, it has certainly changed, right? You know, when you look at companies that don't exist, you talk about Xerox and Kodak, for example. You know, that's the choppy waters that, that we're going to see. And that's why going through and, and looking at income statements and price to earnings ratios and all and doing the tactical and tactical work is certainly important. You know, I, and I talk about choppy waters and speaking of choppy waters, uh, there was a balloon that uh, got shot down into these choppy <laughs> waters, but there's going to be geopolitical tension yeah. that is certainly going to be with us for the next couple of years. Well, and that's something I wanted to get into as well. I mean, you're seeing the most overt act of hostility from the Chinese government in, in quite some time, and the United States and China have this symbiotic relationship on trade. I mean, we consume just sheer mountains of Chinese goods, and the Chinese obviously depend on American consumption to fuel their economy. 
if we have some sort of interruption in that in terms of tensions and there has been a long-held fear that China would invade Taiwan and and be far more aggressive in that respect i mean i'm not necessarily fearing world war 3 here although that should be in the back of every month, one's mind but what i am saying is what we have right now is something that we haven't for a long long time and is this something that needs to be factored in when doing these sorts of long-term plans for your own personal portfolio yeah it's, it's really difficult to forecast geopolitical risk i mean we call that incident risk and you really can't uh, you can't account for incident risk, but you can certainly keep your eyes up. I remember being on a trip 20 years ago, and all of these roads were being built in some of these third world countries that we were traveling to. And I asked uh, the locals, I said, what's going on? He said, the Chinese are building all of our infrastructure, all of our roads, and we have these loans that we're taking from them. And if we can't pay it, guess what's going to happen? And of course, right. that's starting to happen now. And so can you imagine of, of all of these defaults as possibilities around the world of, of these geopolitical risks, they would be off their rockers if they start to see risk. And so you talked about that fueled problems in the past, like we had in 07 and 08, that was domestic. But what about if there are sovereign defaults? Right. I mean, right. that's the geopolitical risk that I'm talking about. So that is the, really the reason why you have to bring your risk down and make sure it aligns with your portfolio. Well, and that's what we always talk about, but there are these sort of, and they're, they're called in markets, black swan events, things that just sort of happen that nobody could possibly prepare for. Obviously, the biggest example, the 9-11 terror attacks, something that just comes literally out of a clear blue sky and just totally change it. it. It didn't just disrupt markets. It changed the whole nature of investing, sure. economics. It, it changed the world, yeah. right? And, I mean, and so, oh, one, we saw a world change in event. Oh, seven, oh, eight, oh, nine. That was a world changing event. Those cascading financial institutions and COVID. That is a, that's probably, yeah. COVID's probably the biggest world changer that we've seen in the last 20 years. So we can't plan for them. But what you can do is stress test your portfolio and say, if the market goes down 20, 30, 40%, what does that do to my portfolio? So maybe 100% of your of your portfolio shouldn't be in stocks, for example. They should be in bonds and the 60, 40 portfolio and some money set aside in cash. These are all the financial planning processes that you have to go through. And that's why, again, we urge you to go to AnnexWealth.com, get that free wealth metric. And each and every week here on The Difference, we will tell you exactly what's going on at the intersection of politics and economics. He's Dave Spano. I'm Dan O'Donnell. Thank you so much for listening. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of the podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.